Happy Easter. Happy Easter to everyone. And thank you, uh, worship team, for those uh, inspiring songs. I appreciate it so much. You know, His favor is upon us, and Easter is a reminder of that. Today I want to continue in our series, uh, The Overcoming Life, with a topic that I think is timely, and I want to talk about overcoming death. When I talk about overcoming death, I'm not going to just talk today about overcoming physical death or sickness, but the fact is, is we need to recognize that we were created for life. So before we get started, grab your outline if you have it. If not, make sure you, you run and print it out real quick. Also, uh, use this time to get ready for communion. If you forgot about it, a glass of water. I mean, Jesus turned water into wine. That'll work. Uh, a cracker, any kind of bread, anything like that, so that you're prepared to uh, celebrate communion with us uh, later, later in our time together. So let's begin with overcoming death. First of all, we need to recognize that God is the life creator. God is the life creator. That's what he's about. You see, we were created as eternal beings. We were created as spiritual beings that for a temporary time live in a physical body. But we were created to live eternally. In uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 6, it says, God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. What makes us different than everything else that God created and everything else that God gave life to is the fact that he breathed his spirit in Ruhah, or in the New Testament, the Numa. He breathed that life into us. That's what makes us different than everyone else. We are eternal beings because God breathed his spirit into our life and made us a spirit being. The scripture also teaches us in Genesis chapter 1 that we're created in his image and his likeness. It says in verse 27, God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them then God looked over all he had made, and he saw that it was very good. So the way we're put together, the way we're designed by God's design is good. And when God says it's good, it is really good. We also were created to live in a place of pleasure and delight. You know, when Scripture refers to Eden, that's what Eden means, pleasure and delight. And so in Genesis chapter 2, it says, the Lord placed man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord warned him, You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Now, I've used the phrase that God made a perfect people at a perfect time to live in a perfect place to walk in perfect relationship with their Creator. And you'd say, well, but I know the rest of this story is in the next couple of verses, a serpent shows up, and he's sneaky. And he is the one that's deceptive. If it's perfect, why was Satan there? Well, here's why it was a perfect place. Because these people were created to walk every day 
in the presence of God. In fact, you read in the scripture that God walked in the garden in the cool of the evening. It apparently was an after-dinner walk that all of them engaged in. And the whole point was, is they weren't created to know everything, but they were created to walk daily, intimately, with the one who knew everything. And so if they faced a challenge during the day, they could say to God that evening during their evening walk, what do I do about this? And he would have instructed them. He would have, he placed them in the garden, the place of pleasure and delight, with dominion and power and authority. And even though there were evil forces there, they could have overcome them had they just asked the Father. It's when they didn't ask that it did not become a place of pleasure and delight. Which leads me to my second point, is that Satan is a life stealer. He is a life stealer. In John chapter 8, Jesus said this about Satan. He was a murderer from the beginning. That's his reputation. He's a murderer. He has always hated truth. What's that making? Because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So think about what your reputation is. Satan's is you're a murderer and a liar. So he's the life stealer. God is the life creator, the life giver, the life sustainer. Satan is the life stealer. And Satan steals from us through deception. Because he's a liar by nature, guess what he does? He lies. It's what he does. And in Genesis chapter 3, it says, The serpent was the shrewdest of the wild animals the Lord had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit uh, from any of the trees in the garden? The first thing Satan does in speaking to people is questions the validity of their loving Creator God and Father. That's the first thing that he does. He questions that. And of course, Eve responds, Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. Well, that's not completely true. She added some things which we've been adding to God's commands throughout time. Said, then Satan responded, You won't die, the servant replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Well, Satan is a liar, and he deceived man through lies, and man fell, and death, and sin, and the grave, and evil, and sickness all came to dwell in humanity because of that deception when we chose to listen. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, The thief comes with the sole intention of stealing, killing, and destroying. Now, friend, I'll add this. It's not in my notes, but please recognize that when the adversary tempts you for something, anything that might be perceived as good about it is always offered up front. But in the end, the outcome will always, always, always be bad. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16 through 23, there's the litany of things that God declares first to Satan, then to Eve, and to Adam. And those things are really uh, identifying the outcome of man's deceptions. 
The first thing is that there was a loss of spiritual life and a loss of intimacy with God. Because we read in verse 23, the Lord banished them from the Garden of Eden. So they didn't have their daily chats anymore. They didn't have their time that they were together. Secondly, we see that there was a loss of eternal life. There was a loss that brought about sickness and death. In verse 19 it says, For you were made from dust, and to the dust you will return. Uh, Romans uh, 6.23 reminds us, The wages, the payment for sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. The third deception of the outcome is relational strife. First of all, it begins with marriage in verse 16. And, your desire, and you will desire to control your husband, he said to Eve, but he will rule over you. Trouble began in relationships at this point in time. Strife entered. We see the outcome of this and how it extended to the family. If you were to look at Genesis chapter 4, when God is talking to Cain and asking him, why are you angry? Well, Cain was angry because Cain and Abel, his brother, both brought offerings to the Lord. And Cain brought an offering. He brought the vegetables that were in the end of the aisle. And, and Abel brought a perfect lamb to sacrifice. And because of that, and because they knew what they were to do, that it was to be the first and the best, and God had accepted what Abel did, Cain was upset. He was jealous of his brother. And if we were to read a little farther in that particular passage in verse 8, it says, One day Cain suggested to his brother, Let's go into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Relational strife begins in Genesis 3, and it continues to this day. We see another thing that happens is there is a loss of inner peace. You know, you think about it. Wouldn't you be at peace if you were walking with God every day, intimately, personally, speaking with Him, hearing from Him, sensing His presence, enjoying His guidance, feeling His love? You would have peace. But the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 21, in the times in which we live today, there will be strange signs in the sun, moon, and stars. And here on earth, the nations will be in turmoil, perplexed by the roaring seas and strange tides. Does that sound like 2020? It does to me. It's what we're facing today. We've seen signs in the skies. We are seeing turmoil among the nations. It is what is going on. And it all started back in Genesis 3. We see another outcome is poverty, scarcity, and lack. In verse 17, it says, all your life you will struggle to scratch a living from the earth. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat. Think about how it was before. You just went and harvested. That was a pretty cool thing. And even though they were to tend the garden, it wasn't a struggle because you weren't combating all the other things. And think about it, they didn't have Roundup either, so it would have been more difficult. We see then that all of these things are outcomes because of what happened when man fell and we listened to the lie of the adversary. But I have good news, friends, and that's what Easter is all about. And that's the third point. Jesus is our life restorer. He's our life restorer. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says, 
The Lamb is the one whose death was planned before the world was created. In other words, many times we think that maybe God was surprised by the fall of man. But the fact was, before we were created, there was a plan. God had the plan of redemption in place. There was a lamb that was going to be sacrificed. It was going to be the perfect lamb. And that lamb was our Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus had a mission when he came to earth. His mission was to overcome sin and defeat death and defeat the adversary. And I tell you today that Jesus accomplished his mission. He did exactly that. In fact, in John chapter 19, as he's on the cross, the Bible says in verse 28 that he knew that his mission was now finished. And in verse 30, it says when he tasted that sour wine, he announced it is finished. In the Greek, it's telestai. It means the debt is paid. The thing is complete. The deal is done. We've wrapped up all the loose ends. Uh, my daughter, who's in the other room watching us today, uh, just finished a deal with her company, and it took her months and months and months to create this deal. And there was, she'd say, we're going to close Wednesday. And then what happened? Well, there was five more things we needed to deal with. Well, I want you to know, friends, that when she finished, she called and said, it's done, it's closed, the deal's finished. Well, I want you to know when Jesus gave up his spirit on the cross, he announced, it is finished, the debt is paid, there's nothing else that has to be done for victory to be reestablished. It's all been taken care of. You don't have to add anything to it. In Hebrews chapter 2, uh, verse 9, it says, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. That's fantastic. Now let's look at his mission's outcome. His mission was to bring us triumphant, victorious life. In Romans 5, 17, it says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph, here we now, over sin, and over death through one man, Jesus Christ. That is tremendous news for us today. We don't have to figure out a way to get back to God. We don't have to figure out what we need to do to be in right standing. We don't have to come up with a payment plan to pay for all our transgressions and sins. It's all been taken care of by our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 10, it says, By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way. And in a moment, we'll talk about the fact that all of us can join in that life-giving way. You see, Jesus freely offered life. In John chapter 1, it says, The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. This is fantastic. And I want to share something, friends. As this season of time, when we're dealing with COVID-19 and we're uh, staying in place, sheltering in place in our homes, and uh, many of us have the long commute down the hallway to the grandkids' bedroom or our office or to the kitchen table, and maybe some of us get stir-crazy if we have one, two, three, or four kids that live in the house. Well, I want you to know that... In this season, when we are in our homes, the Church of Jesus Christ 
is doing what this verse says. We are reflecting the light of God. It is so exciting to see it happening. It is so exciting to see how churches all over this country are using media such as what we're doing today. We've never thought about it, but I've talked with Greg, who's on the other end of this. I'm waving at him right now. We've talked about when we go back and we begin to meet as church, why don't we continue to do this? Because here's what's amazing, friends. We might have 40, 50, maybe a great week. We have 60 people in our audience. But you know what? Through media, nearly a 1,000 people watched what we did last week. That is fantastic. And I'm not bragging on us at the rivers. What I'm doing is bragging on God's people are becoming a light in a medium that maybe we've ignored. And now we're there. And pastors are learning how to broadcast. And I'm sitting here with my two reading lamps so that you can sort of see my face. And we're trying a microphone today. We're learning new technologies. We're learning to do things because we want to represent the light that Jesus brought in every area that we can. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness will never extinguish it. In Revelation chapter 21, it says, It is finished, I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the beginning and the end. That's the A and the Z. And to whom... To all who are thirsty, I will give freely from the springs of the water of life. God created us for life. He put life in it. He gave us spiritual life. Satan came to steal that life because he's a thief. That's what he does. And he's done everything in his power. And Jesus came back, paid the debt, restored it all. And we can have this life. If we're thirsty, he's there. He's the fountain that will never run dry. He's the spring of living water that will bring us life and hope and health and peace. It is so fantastic. Jesus ensured us an overcoming life. Not just a get-along life, but an overcoming life. In Revelation chapter 1, it says, Don't fear, I'm the first and the last. I'm alive. I died, but I came to life, and my life is now forever. See these keys in my hand, they open and lock and unlock death's doors. They open and lock and unlock hell's gates. That is tremendous. He ensures that we can be overcomers. Now, he also offers us a complete and restored life. Earlier, I read part of John 10.10, where I said, the thief comes with the sole intention of stealing, killing, and destroying. But, Jesus said, I come to bring them life, and far more life than ever before. Not just a just getting along, barely getting by kind of life. Oh, woe is me. I, I remember as a kid in church, sometimes we used to have Wednesday night testimony services. And after I got done listening to the people, I thought, I don't even want to be a Christian after hearing that. Because it was, oh, woe is me. You have troubles in this world. Well, you know, we will have troubles in this world. But we have an overcoming Jesus and his spirit that live in us that make us overcomers through everything that we face. We have a complete, restored, abundant life. That's what it's all about. My final point this morning is today's Easter. Today's Easter. And Easter is the guarantee of a life restored. Easter is the guarantee of life restored. In fact, Easter has some tremendous outcomes for us. Number one, it has the promise of a restoration. In Joel chapter 2, it says, I will give you back what you lost to the swarming locust, the hopping locust, 
There's a stripping locust and the cutting locust. They say, I don't really am not into locusts, but we don't have them here. They're a couple every once in a while. Do you understand that in the scripture, when Joel was talking about this, he was talking about demon spirits represented as a Satan who had come and stolen from the people of God everything that God had promised. And God is saying, I am going to restore. Hear the message of Easter. I am going to restore what was taken from you. I'm going to give back. I'm going to give give it back. It's yours. You're going to live with it again. And he said, once again, you'll have all the food you want, and you will praise the Lord your God who does these miracles for you. Never again will my people be disgraced. Believers in Jesus Christ, we have life. We have life abundant. And Jesus has rebuked the devourer, and he said to the evil spirits, you leave them alone. Don't take from them anymore. I will restore was the promise he said through Joel. And right after that promise in Joel, he said, I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. I'm all flesh. I'm one of those. His spirit comes within me to bring me life and hope. I hope you're excited out there today. We also know that we're restored in our relationship with God in Revelation 21. Look, God's home is now among his people. Where did his home start? Walking with him in the garden. Where is it going to end? With us walking with him, with him every, each and every day. It says in, in verse 4, he will live with them, and they will be his people. God himself will be with him. And here's great news. He will wipe every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death. No more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain. All of these things are gone forever. It's like the permanent leave. The pain's gone, and it's gone forever. That's so fantastic. He also promises us eternal life, back to where we started. In John 11, it says, You don't have to wait for the end. I am, right now, resurrection and life. The one who believes in me, even though he or she dies, will live. And everyone who lives believing in me does ultimately, does not ultimately die at all. You've heard me say it, friends. Our last breath here is our first breath here. Our last thought there is our first thought here. We have nothing to fear. Every fear is based on the fear of death. And Jesus has conquered death. And that's what Easter is all about. We also have a promise of a balanced mind, a soul, our mind, emotions, and will. It says in 2 Timothy, God didn't give us the spirit of timidity, cowardice, or fear, but he has given us the spirit of power and of love and a sound judgment and a personal discipline, abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. That's what I want to have. That's what I want my testimony to be. I don't want people to think, Mark is nuts. I want them to think, man, that man is balanced. He has emotions, but he's not controlled by them. He has a mind, but he doesn't let his mind rule him. He has a will. He can say yes to the things that are right, and he can say no to the things that are wrong. And that's the promise that Jesus gives us. Also, we're promised physical health and healing. In Malachi chapter 4, it says, But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. You know who the Son of Righteousness is? It's Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. 
We also are promised healthy marriages and family relationships. The Bible teaches us that as believers in Jesus, we can submit to one another in love. People that are submitted to one another in love get along. They, they're able to submit to one another because first they're submitted to God. That's the promise that we have. God can heal our marriages. God can heal our relationships with our children. He can heal our relationships with our co-workers. He's able to do all of those things because he's a restorer of God. And that's what he does. We're also promised prosperity in three, uh, 3 John chapter, or 3 John verse 2. I pray for good fortune in everything you do and for your good health, that your everyday affairs prosper as well as your soul. You can count on Jesus to meet your need. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. He will do it. He will do it. He will do it. It's what he does. What is the ultimate outcome of restoration that Easter exemplifies? It's found in John chapter 14, verse 19. Because I live, you shall live also. Because I live, you shall live also. That's what Easter is all about. When Jesus rose from the dead, he defeated sin, hell, the grave. He became the God of provision. The devourer was rebuked, and our life was restored. If you're watching today, whenever you're watching this, I invite you to be part of the family. It's really so simple. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him would not be lost, would not experience the Genesis 3, but would have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, but he didn't send him into the world to judge the world guilty, which so many people think that's why God's here, is just to judge us and find out where he's wrong. I want you to know he loves us so much, he sent his son, he sent his son to save us and to give us hope and a future. I want to invite you today to join me in a very simple prayer. If you've never asked Jesus in your heart and life, I want you to pray this simple prayer with me. Father, I recognize my need of you. I ask Jesus to come into my heart, cleanse me of my sins, and save me. If you pray that simple prayer, friends, I know that Jesus will come into your heart. You ask him, he will dwell in your heart. He'll change your life. He'll transform you. He'll make you new. So, Father, we pray for those that have prayed that prayer right now. We thank you for them. We ask that you would uh, make yourself real to them in the coming days. During this season of time, may they recognize that you are the way maker, that you are one who is for us, that you're not against us. May they recognize you as a provider, as peace, because you are the Prince of Peace. And so when you arrive, may peace come to their hearts and their spirits, I pray. Well, thank you for it. Amen. Amen. Now, before I go and turn it back to the worship team, I'd like you to invite, to join me in a time of communion. Hang on a second. It is interesting to me, friends, that this last Tuesday was Passover. And if you think about the first Passover, what happened? Well, there had been nine plagues on Egypt, and the children of Israel had wanted to leave and asked God, had begged God to leave Egypt, 
And then Pharaoh would say yes, and then he'd say no, and a plague came upon him. And finally Moses and Aaron announced to, to uh, the Pharaoh, there's a tenth plague coming. It's going to be the plague of the death of the firstborn. And God instructed the children of Israel to prepare for a day that they would call Passover and be a day that they would celebrate every year forever as a reminder of how God had delivered them from the bondage to Pharaoh. It is interesting that when that happened, the first Passover, think about it, everyone was sheltered in their homes with their family. And what they were instructed to do is take a perfect lamb and they were to sacrifice it, and they were to take and roast the meat, and they were to take the blood, and they took the blood, and they were told to put it in three places, on the top of the door and on each side. And the Bible says that when the death angel would come, he would see the blood and pass over that home. And the death angel went through Egypt that night, and everywhere the blood was applied on the home of the Israeli, the death angel passed over and the firstborn didn't die. But where the blood wasn't applied, the firstborn, child, animal, everything was killed. It's interesting to me that in 2020 on Passover, which was Tuesday, where were we? We were all huddled in our homes, sheltered with our family, just like Israel was with the first Passover. Now, if you go forward about 4,000 years to about 2,000 years ago, and Jesus was celebrating this very event with his disciples, and he added some things to it and brought greater meaning and understanding what the Passover was. Basically, what he was announcing to them, that the children of Israel sacrificed a lamb which you've had to continue to do every year. But I'm going to be the sacrificial lamb that will be sacrificed once and for all. And just like then, you had to consume the flesh of the lamb, so you will also take into your life my words, who I am, and you will also take my blood, and it will be applied to your life, and it will bring life because it is a pure blood that is shed for the forgiveness of sins. And so, as Jesus, 2,000 years ago, he took bread. And when he did, he broke it. And he said, this is my body that was broken for you. So, Father, we break the bread and we ask your blessing on it as we partake of it here in 2020. We take this with an understanding that you are our God, that you love us, that you sent your son. Uh, and because he was uh, beaten, we enjoy healing. Because he is crucified, we enjoy life. Thank you for that. Bless this bread as you blessed it 2,000 years ago, Jesus. Amen. Let's all eat together. Later in that Passover meal, he took one of, there's about six or seven different cups that are mentioned. 
and he took a cup, and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. He brought new meaning to what that sacrifice meant. He was telling them, here's what's going to happen tomorrow. They didn't get it, but he was telling them that, and they understood later. So, Father, we lift our cup, and we thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to die, your obedience to go to the cross. We thank you for your shed blood, by which we have forgiveness, restoration, healing, and wholeness. As you blessed the cup 2,000 years ago, we ask you to bless this cup now. Amen. Let's drink together. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I pray that this time has been a time of encouragement and hope for you. And before we go, there's a couple more things I want to do. While we're not in our family room together, we are together in spirit. We're united by the Spirit of Jesus. I want you this morning, you know what your needs are. You know what your, where you need God to show up and bring change in your life. It might be in your family relationships that I was talking about earlier. It might be in your finances. This time you may have lost your job. You're wondering, how are we going to make it? Well, I want you to know, as the guys reminded us, God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. God is for you. And I want to pray for you right now. And normally we join hands. So I want you to reach out and find a point of contact. Maybe you reach over and touch your iPad or your computer or your Bible. Find some place that you can release your faith so that as we pray, we mingle our faith together and ask God to transform your life and your situation. So Father, in Jesus' name, I extend my hands to my brothers and sisters. And we ask, Lord, that you come and meet them at the point of their need. As we release our faith, faith, do the miraculous. Meet them where they need you to meet them. Be the great I am, the God who is everything we need him to be when we need him to be it. We pray for release of finances. We pray for emotional health and encouragement for those who struggle with being uh, in their homes and are alone. We pray for comfort and consolation. We pray for the presence of the Spirit of God. I pray for restoration of relationships between husband and wife, between parents and children, between co-workers. Lord, let this be a time of healing, and we'll thank you for it, Jesus. We'll thank you for it. Well, I want to share with you as I close a couple of things. If you accepted Jesus as your Savior today, or if you have a prayer request, you can send it to us at info at therivers.org. We'd love to hear from you. And I want to encourage you as well, those of you that call the Rivers your church home, continue to be faithful. As I said last week, give as God has blessed and prospered you. As he's blessed and prospered you. Because all he asks us to do is give him the first and give him the best. Joan, I love you. We appreciate what you're doing, guys. I thank you so much. I'm going to turn it back to you now. Thanks a lot.